This evening I want to finish our study on the flood, uh, the Genesis flood. We've uh, taken a couple of Sunday evenings off from that study. And the last time we were going through these, these particular slides, I think I stopped somewhere short of the end. And uh, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going back and, and re-commenting on those 20 or so that I already went through. But I, there's, there are some that I want to stop and I want to bring this to a close this evening and hopefully um, have some time at the end where you can, you know, ask questions or I can ask you questions or whatever. So again, we're talking about a real event in history. And unfortunately, it's an event that a whole lot of people, they just dis discount. They say, oh, that, that, that didn't happen. And probably a lot of them think, oh, it could not happen. But it certainly it could have happened. If God can create the world, he can certainly destroy the world in whatever way he determines. But when you stop and think about it, someone might say, well, there's not enough water on the face of the earth. The earth is 70% covered with water. Only 30% is dry land. So stop and think about that. Plus, in the crust of the earth, is, there are massive amounts of water, and, and well as, as well as what's in the atmosphere. Now, that would be probably minimal compared to what's in the crust of the earth. But then you look at all the oceans and the lakes and the rivers and all of that, 70% of the surface of the earth is covered with water. But again, what we've been trying to, what I've been trying to suggest is what we see as the global picture today and as far as the topography and the geography and all of that is concerned, we should not think that that's the way it was necessarily in the days of Noah. The, you know, the, the structure or the surface of the earth could have been radically different from what we're used to seeing today. We'll talk about that a little bit um, as we go along this evening. Now, we, I, I talked about legends around the world. These particular legends talk about, although the first one talks about uh, the flood and then something that we would look at and say, well, that sounds like the Tower of Babel and how God confused the language of the people when they tried to, in their arrogance, build a tower or a building, as some of the legends might say, to, to heaven, to God. And their, their idea was to take over. And God stopped all that and confused their language. And so that from there, we get the different languages of the world, or at least the beginnings of them. But the flood, the account of the flood also, we find at least 200 legends of a great cataclysmic flood in different cultures or from different historical backgrounds all over the world. 200 or more different legends of a great cataclysmic flood that changed things. Well, again, where does all that come from? Now, you'd have some skeptics. They would say, well, see, the, the biblical account is just another one of those. No, the biblical account is the source of those. The source of those. So, and we talked about how, remember, when, when God brought the waters upon the earth for the flood, you, and, and I said, I used to think about this as basically just rain falling all the time and the waters kind of gently rising. And then as, as somewhere along the line, somebody, you know, 
uh, instructed me and educated me a little bit in, in, in more depth, I came to realize it wasn't like that at all. In fact, if you just had the moisture in the atmosphere rain upon the earth, well, all that moisture would rain out pretty fast within a fairly short period of time. Now, I'm not talking about hours, but I'm talking about a matter of days or weeks. And so it rained 40 days and 40 nights. That would not have been sufficient in and of itself unless the atmosphere was a lot different than what we see it to be today. And I suspect it probably was because remember, before the flood, there's no reference to rain at all on the face of the earth. In fact, you go back to Genesis chapter, toward the end of Genesis chapter one, beginning of chapter two, they talked about how God watered the ground with a mist, okay? And so there, the, the atmosphere you know, around the earth may have been a whole lot more saturated than what we're used to seeing today. But that still probably would not by itself have been able to bring all that much of the floodwaters upon the face of the earth. But the text also says that God opened the fountains of the deep. And so we're talking about he, from the crust of the earth, brought those waters up as well as bringing the rain down. But how did it continue to rain for 40 days and 40 nights? Again, the atmosphere that we have around the earth today would not, rain would not last that long, especially, you know, torrential rain. So how did it keep raining for that long? Well, as the earth's crust would break open and you'd have, you'd have the, uh, you know, lava would start going up, steam vents would start going up through the ocean waters, and that would send a whole lot of, of moisture into the atmosphere, and that would just be going on on an ongoing basis. And so it would keep that rain falling, but also as the crust of the earth was opened up by God, the waters in the crust would come up to the surface of the earth as well, and volcanoes would be erupting. And so you're, you're talking about cataclysmic kind of flood. You're talking about tsunamis, one after another. And, and that would have to do with a lot of the, what we see as the geologic structure of the earth, the surface of the earth today. We'll talk about that a little bit more going on. And so the water levels rose globally and we're talking about, and you, you know, understand how this would be. You'd have the lower animals as far as the, their sophistication and everything, they would start to be flooded out and buried first. And as the tsunamis would go, as the crust of the earth was opened up, as volcanoes would erupt and all of that, you'd have massive burials of animal life. And one thing we need to understand is in every mountain range all around the earth, there are marine fossils in the mountains. Now, how'd they get there? We might talk about that a little bit more later. But as the more sophisticated animals, they would keep moving to what higher ground they could find, but the waters would keep rising and eventually it would, it would you know, bury them too or drown them and they would be buried in sediment and be buried quickly because of the nature of the flood, the mechanics behind it. And so a lot of the fossils we see today that we've been able to dig up and find. Now, if, if, it is, if, if it all happened the way the geologists and the biologists and those scientists who, who refuse to believe in the flood, 
who, who insist on evolution, the fossils would not be there basically because fossils, they f don't form over long eons of time. What happens when an animal dies? After a while, it decays, doesn't it? It goes away. But when you bury it quickly, then it has the opportunity for the fossils ultimately to form. Now, so more and more, the more sophisticated animals go higher higher ground and, and they would be buried in higher sediments. Anyway, so we go on and ultimately, what does the text say? The earth was covered with up to 15 cubits of water. And I believe that's somewhere around 22 feet over the highest of the mountain peaks, however high those mountain peaks were at that time. And also something, and, and you will have geologists and, and, and you know, they'll suggest that at one time, the continents, the seven continents, may not have been seven sep separate continents, but they may have all been connected in one massive continent. And there are some indications that, that you know, we look at and say, well, that makes some sense. And so the flood with the, the nature of the, again, the cataclysmic force of the waters rushing back and forth and the, you know, the eruptions within the earth and the volcanic eruptions, you know, the, the earthquakes and everything, that very well could be the, the, the you know, mechanism behind the separation of the continents into what we see as seven continents today. So they may have all been one major mighty landmass before the flood. So that's just a suggestion. So ultimately, the ark rested on Mount Ararat, but that was simply a mountain top and the waters were still in the face of the earth. And, and so that, that uh, you know, the waters would still basically cover the surface of the earth for many, many more days as the waters would recede. And so how did God, how did God engineer the receding of the waters? Well, as those waters would recede, they would naturally find the lower areas start to run down and that would have some, uh, some erosive force itself in the face of the earth. But if, if the continents, if the tectonic plates that we never see, but they're below the surface, and that's what causes earthquakes. If, if the, the mechanism that God used behind the flood was so severe, those tectonic plates pushing up against each other, they would have formed more mountains. And, and so one way that God could have caused the waters to recede besides the wind that he caused to blow across the surface of the earth and evaporate the waters that still remained on the earth, the, he, he could have caused the mountains to rise in that way and they could be higher today than they were back then. You know, again, the surface of the earth may not have been much like what we observe it today. But the waters, would, the waters would run down through the gullies and the, and the valleys and, and the, the passes between the mountains, and that would have an eroding effect as they did that. And ultimately, I think we could understand that, that very possibly what ultimately resulted as the floodwaters receded and everything you know, finally took their final shape and form, that we had a new world. We had a new world 
things were different after the flood, after everything took place. And, and how long did it take for all of the effects of the flood to finally dissipate and finally we, we got down to where we are today? The earth surface as we see it today. It could have taken years, could have taken decades, could have taken a couple hundred years. And you say, well, what, what are you talking about? Well, one way that God could have taken care of the waters, a lot of them that were still on the surface of the earth, was through glaciers forming. We, we see geologically that there has, been, there has been evidence that there were glaciers that covered basically all of Canada and much of the northern United States down to, oh, around southern Illinois. And yet those glaciers are for the most part gone. But there's still glaciers out there, aren't there? Now, the glaciers would hold a lot of water, a lot of moisture. Still glaciers out there. As the volcanoes erupted, what did they throw into the air? Ash? All kinds of pollutants. And if what we're talking about is, is volcanoes erupting all over the world all over the globe on an ongoing basis and the crust of the earth opening up and these steam jets, you know, ejecting up through the ocean waters and sending pollutants into the air and so on. Well, it's been suggested that, that the flood could well have been followed by an ice age that would have lasted a long time until the pollutants finally cleared out through rain and snow and cleared all that out so that the sun could have more effect as we, as we see it today upon the surface of the earth. Now, that's a suggestion. But anyway, so you look at all the evidence in different ways, and, and this is something that's, that's interesting. Uh, there are pretty massive features on the surface of the planet Mars that, of course, we couldn't see until just recently, basically recently. And there are, these are pretty massive features. And so a lot of the, a lot of the scientists, they look at those features and they say, that looks like there was a, basically a global flood on the surface of Mars somewhere back in eons of time ago and yet there's no water in the surface of Mars. We see just as much, if not more, evidence of having a global flood on the face of the Earth on which 70% of the Earth is covered with water, but they reject the idea that there could have been a global flood. Now, why would they reject that? If you're already prejudiced in your mind that you're not gonna believe what the Bible text says, then you're not gonna believe the possibilities that the Bible text is true. So you gotta discount everything. It's like somebody who, who has been taught that baptism is not necessary for salvation. And then you start pointing out verses of scripture that say baptism is for salvation. Baptism is for forgiveness. Can't be saved without being forgiven. And they go through all kinds of mental gymnastics and jump through all kinds of hoops to try to explain away what the text says. You just need to accept what the text says. And so while there's no evidence 
of any, we've not found any water on the surface of the planet Mars. But they see these features and they say it looks like there was a global flood somewhere back in time. Where'd the water come from? Where'd it go? And we see the same kinds of features all over the earth. And they said, well, that, uh, there, there, there was never a global flood on the planet earth. But the Bible says there was. You know, anyway. Okay. The inconsistency sometimes. But what does 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 6 say? The world that then existed perished being flooded in water. I don't think we're to understand that the earth that we see today with its, with its geologic features was what existed before the flood. The global flood would have had massive consequences on the surface of the earth. We need to understand that. Now, uniformitarianism, I think I talked about this a little bit. It is the basic, it is the basic theory that, that, that evolutionists use and also geologists use to explain how first what we see in the face of the earth came about. And they'll say, okay, you've got all of these levels of strata in the, in, in, in the crust of the earth and there are layers. And if you can go somewhere like the Grand Canyon, you see all of these different layers of strata. And they can say, those different layers, we can measure time by those layers. And each one took so many years. And we're talking about, you know, in some cases they would say thousands, tens of thousands, maybe millions of years to form. We see all these different layers of strata there. And so the earth is, you know, billions of years old. Uh, well, what about catastrophism? And they also say evolution, through evolution, evolution, you start with this one-celled animal. Well, really, so you have to go back before the one-celled animal. And I think I may start to do a series on evolution after this. But you go back before the one-celled animal because there was no one-celled animal, they'll say. There was something back there. There was an ooze that was made up of different chemicals and all of a sudden, and they can't explain it, not been able to reproduce it, something happened in the ooze and life all of a sudden appeared. Animate life where there was only inanimate matter. Now, that is scientifically unscientific. Life from non-life. But that's what they say. And then from the one-celled animal, and you know the rest of the story. And so over, over a long period of time, through massive evolutionary processes, then finally we get to man. Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1 and verse 1. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the, of the deep. And then you start reading where God went into the creation process. And through a period of seven days, he created, he formed the universe. He formed what we see on the earth. He separated the waters from the land, and he put all of the different life forms upon the earth. In a period of six days, actually. And so God did all of that. Now, some people will say, well, yeah, no, he couldn't have done that. What God could not have done what God did. And, and so I try to say, well, it, he, he, he spent millions of years bringing all those changes about. Not what the scripture says. 
And in the Hebrew language, the word yom is translated day. And in every single passage of scripture in the Old Testament where the word yom is used, next to or preceded by a number of a day, it always means a 24-hour day. Now, should we believe that Genesis chapter 1 is the lone exception? Upon the first day or such and such happened, you know, God created this, he created this, formed this, and that was day two, second day, third day, so on. I, I don't think it's reasonable, you know, to suggest that that would be the lone exception. And, and that would be simply because they're trying to explain away the supernatural creation of God, by God of everything we see around us, not over eons of time, but within the seven literal days or six literal days in the, in the Genesis account. And on the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter one, verse 27 says, so God made man in the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. So doesn't say anything about eons of time. Doesn't say anything about working your way up through all kinds of layers of evolutionary change. And when you look at the fossil evidence, where are the transitional fossils? They're missing they're missing in the fossil records. And they should be filled with millions, if not billions of fossils transitioning from one species to another, but the fossil record is empty along those lines. Well, anyway, so catastrophism is a reality and that's, that's what we need to look at and say, okay, catastrophism. Catastrophism changes things radically quickly. And that would have been what would have been the result of the flood. It would have catastrophically changed the face of the globe. And, and so you, know, you stop and think. Now, here's a picture of the Grand Canyon. So we're told by geologists that the Grand Canyon formed over eons of time by the Colorado River running through the base of it. You see where the Colorado River is right there at the base of it? Do you see the opening of the Grand Canyon from one end to the other? Whole lot wider than the Colorado River, isn't it? Whole lot wider. And when you look at the geologic strata in different parts of the Grand Canyon, it shows that the layers of the strata were laid quickly one on top of the other without the erosion that would naturally exist if they were laid oh, gradually over eons of time, indicating that they were laid quickly one on top of the other, which would have been the result of the, ca of the catastrophic effects of a worldwide flood. Also, and you can't really read Let's see, I'm not sure. Can I? Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, I don't see where. Oh, oh, maybe that's it. Let's see. Trying to get it. Oh, there it is. Okay. Now, 
if you look on, on here, there's, little, there's a little section there that you can't read because it's too small. And uh, I, I, was, I was glad when I would look at it and, and go over it in my, on my computer, I'd get way up close, make sure I tried to get my glasses just right and I could, I could read it. And I wanted to familiarize myself with it this evening before I, I, I came. And so I got back there and, and Damon blew it up for me, which I thought, that's neat. I wish I could do that on my computer. But anyway, that, that box right there talks about another Grand Canyon in the United States. It's called the Little Grand Canyon. Okay, now this Grand Canyon, which probably many of us have been to, I've been to it, uh, it's massive. And the geologists tell us, you know, you look at all of that, it took, oh man, that took eons of time for that, by comparison, rather narrow river to erode all of that away from one side to the other. Uh, it, it couldn't have happened, you know, in a catastrophic way. The Little Grand Canyon is 100 feet deep and I believe the uh, and look look also at the walls much of the walls of the Grand Canyon how they're straight down which indicates again it opened up quickly the little Grand Canyon the depth of that is 100 feet and it was formed on one day in 1982, I believe it was. One day through water and lava, you know, hot lava flowing through it. One day, 100 feet deep, called the Little Grand Canyon. So you see, catastrophism gives us another, I think, logical, scientific view and understanding of the surface of the earth as we see it today. And this is something coming up I just wanted to, there's, there's a tree. You see all the different layers of the geologic strata there surrounding that tree. Now, again, the geologists would say that, that those took, I mean, thousands of years to form. But that tree is buried through every one of those, every one of those. And the tree is still there, okay? Not fossilized, I'm sure, but it's still there. How did it, how, somehow, how did it manage to be buried in all of those different layers of the strata? And that's not a unique finding that we, we see. We find uh, though, th that kind of thing, uh, went all the way through it, look at that, okay. When we find that same kind of thing in Yellowstone. But it's not one tree, it's scores of trees that are buried upright through layers of strata in the Yellowstone Mountains there. So, you know, again, and so again, eons of time, thousands, tens of thousands of years. This is an interesting story about the, the lost squadron in World War II. 1942, P-38 uh, fighter planes they, and, and, and two uh, bombers, B-17 bombers, were forced to land on the island of Greenland, okay? And they were abandoned and they were forgotten for the most part for about 40 years. And then in, in 1982, an expedition 
you know, they, they uh, bored through the ice. So we're talking about ultimately, as they finally got to them, I think it, it ended up being 46 years only. Again, the geologists will say, well, this could not have happened. They found the plane, they found the planes 250 feet deep in the ice. They landed on the surface in 1942. 46 years later, they were 250 feet deep. And they actually, an expedition actually bored down and disassembled all the parts of one of the planes, brought them to the surface, reassembled them, and it's actually flown again one time. You know, and, and that's a true story. So you see, when people say all of this happened in this way and it took all these millions and billions of years, eons of time, think about what the flood would have caused. And that's a more rational explanation when you look at all of the evidence that we see all over the face of the earth than to say all of this happened in a very gradual way over eons of time, but for which we have no historical records. God is all powerful. Now, the last few minutes I'd like to just open up and ask you, uh, have you gotten anything out of this study? Or maybe what thoughts have you had? I know probably every one of you probably believed in the Genesis account to begin with, but hopefully going into the depth and the detail that I've done and showing numerous pictures of the inside of the ark and the possibilities of how everything would have fit, all the storage units and everything, including, sleep, sleep, uh, including living quarters, hopefully it helped cement and strengthen your faith in the biblical account. Anybody have anything you'd like to say or you get anything, anything you'd say, well, this helped me in this way, or I, that I hadn't thought about this, or did you have a question about anything? Royce? Well, and, and if the flood waters would have so weakened the connections, if it was one massive, you know, uh, kind of, of, of one massive uh, continent instead of seven, but the connections were very weakened by the flood, you know, the waters, the, you know, the earthquakes, you know, volcanic eruptions and so on, then the animals could have spread. And God, you know, again, God could have done that. He could have spread the animals easily. He brought them into the ark to begin with. And so then as they separated and floated out, that's just a suggestion, then they were there, you know. And uh, when you go up to the uh, Bering Straits, I believe it is, between Alaska and Russia, um, you've got this little neck of land that goes part way, and it really does not separate the two continents by a whole lot. And this, you know, 
it's it's been suggested in fact believed to a great extent by lots of uh, authorities that it, that once went all the way across and, sep and, and connected the two continents of, of Asia and, and North America. So that's a suggestion. You know, of course, we weren't there, we can't say. But God took care of it one way or another. Appreciate the question. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. Well, we really do have dominion over the animals in that uh, man is their greatest enemy. You know, I mean, we and 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 what do the scriptures say every every beast every animal has been and i brought this out in one of the lessons in this study uh has been tamed you know i, I believe that might not be the exact you know word but but basically you know the great white shark well we do have the ability to kill a great white shark in that sense we have dominion over them that they do not rule over us you know but but we we can rule over them so um and we have been able to tame and kind of cause you know uh, teach to do tricks all kinds of animals you know even ele elephants you know we, you've been to a circus and seen how elephants do all kinds of tricks and all that so okay but good point Anyone else? Yes. Six, seven feet land elevated six, seven thousand feet, and there's seashells all over the place. Yeah, as I said, in every mountain range all around the globe, there are fossil, there are marine fossils, but there's no water there. And uh, I think I brought out in one place there is the evidence of a waterfall that's much larger than Niagara Falls and a river feeding that waterfall. But there is no river and there is no water coming over the waterfall. But at one time there was. And that would have been one of the evidences of the receding waters after the flood. Anyone else? Don't want to keep us too long, but I, I you know, kind of wanted to end our study in this way. Anyone else? Question, thought, whatever. Has this helped you in your kind of solidify your faith in the, in the flood account. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, we can have confidence as to what we read in the scriptures being accurate and true. Okay. If nothing else, then our invitation song is number 832. 832. 832. And so... We don't want to close without extending the Lord's invitation. And if 
you are in need of responding in some way, either for prayers, for whatever the situation might be in your life, or if you're ready to become a Christian, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ as God's son and your Lord and savior, and surrendering to him in baptism for the remission of your sins, then we encourage you to take that step. We want to assist you in whatever way we can this evening. We're here if you would like to study. You can talk with us either at stepping forward or talk with us privately, or if you need to talk with someone privately and pray together, again, just ask us. We'll, we'll do that. We want to help in whatever way we can. If you need to come, let us stand together and sing at this time.